chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2, where we're continuing our study from this morning on the, the story of Simeon. We're not doing Simeon and Anna. We've uh, done Anna in a Bible study some uh, time back, and we may visit her again, but this is uh, enough just to do Simeon today. Luke chapter 2, and I think I'll just uh, take it from the beginning again, just so everybody gets the context. And we'll start at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Please keep your Bibles open there. Well, tomorrow is the birthday of a very uh, remarkable man, a man by the name of Ivan Panin, uh, who was born in 1855. And Ivan Panin was a Russian exile from the days of the Tsar. Um, He had been involved in what was in those days a a revolutionary movement called nihilism, which was designed to uh, train uh, and educate the people who were uh, really being used as slaves and the Tsar didn't appreciate that and so he had to flee uh, to Germany. When he was in Germany he started studies in Greek and Hebrew and he went then to uh, America to perfect his studies. He was a mathematician already but he became uh, very interested in Greek and Hebrew. Uh, he was lecturing all the time in, in uh, the universities in America and he was a well-known agnostic. So much so that when he became a Christian, the newspapers published, Ivan Panin has become a Christian because it was like a, a job draw moment that this man who was a, a, a big mouth about being an agnostic uh, later became a Christian. 
But what happened was, as he started to master Greek and Hebrew, he wanted to study uh, the New Testament as a, as, a, as a Greek manuscript. And he started studying John's Gospel. And as he looked at the opening para, uh, paragraph of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was fascinated by something in the Greek. That before one of the words of God, it says, the God. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with the God. Like there's only one God, the God. But the next time it doesn't say that, and it says he was with God. And that's what it is in the Greek. And he thought, this is interesting. And he noticed, he thought, I'm going to study and see where else this comes up. Why does the Greek manuscripts of the Bible do this? Why does it have an article beforehand but not always uh, connected with the word God? As he looked he found a pattern forming in the scriptures and he became so convinced that the scriptures were designed that he actually became a Christian through this quirk of the Greek language of the Bible. He was so convinced of it. And he started doing research into the manuscripts of the Bible, the Hebrew and the Greek. And he discovered what is called today the septenary design of scripture. In fact, what that means is very simply that things come up in sevens in the Bible. Now, we know that a lot already from the clear plain text, don't we? You know, we have the seven I am's of Jesus. We have the sevens in Revelation. But in the, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, it is absolutely fascinating. And actually, this man, when he died, he left behind 43,000 pages of analyzed text uh, listing the septenary design of scripture. Let me just give you some. All right, I'm not going to give you 43,000 pages. But I'll give you a, just a little snippet of what I'm talking about. Okay? Take Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. The first verse of the Bible. All right? Now this is uh, well known to everybody. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Now in the Hebrew that is seven words. Not only is that seven words, but the number of letters in those words is 28, which is a multiple of seven. You have four times seven. And the Hebrew letters are an alphanumeric uh, uh, alphabet. So A is one, B is two. They count with their letters, like the Roman numerals. And uh, the first and the last letters of all the words have a numerical value of 1,393, which is 199 times 7. Now, I mean, I would have given up on that ages. But he went on and on and on researching this. This is fascinating. The value of the last, of the last letters of the first and last words is 490, or 70 times 7. Uh, the number of letters in the subject words which is God, and object, which is the heaven and the earth, is 14, which is twice seven. And the whole Bible, he found, was like this. When he came to the genealogy of Matthew, uh, of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 1, what he found there was amazing. I've just got to find my piece of paper. Here we go. 
All right, don't try and write this down. All right, this is just so. It contains 72 Greek vocabulary words. Now, a vocabulary word is not uh, every word. So, like, the names are not vocabulary words. But the vocabulary words are 72 vocabulary words, which is a multiple of seven. The Greek word the, which occurs most frequently in the passage, comes Exactly 56 times, which is 7 times 8. Also, the number of different forms in which the article the occurs is exactly 7. And when you look at that passage, there's two halves. The first half in verses 1 to 11, the second in verses 12 to 17. In the first main section, the number of Greek vocabulary words used is 49, or 7 times 7. The number of those 49 words which begin with a vowel is 28. Or 7 times 4. The number of words which begin with a consonant is 21. Or 7 times 3. And he just went on and on and on and on. In the minuscule detail. Letters and words and everything. And all he could find was exactly 7. It was never 8. Never. Always 7. In fact, what he found was... This was fascinating. When he was studying the the book of Matthew, he found that Matthew uses words that occur nowhere else in the New Testament. And they occur 42 times. 42 is 7 times 6. And those words have 126 letters, which is 7 times 18. (laughs) The interesting thing is, when he went to Mark, he found Mark used words that were used nowhere else. And they were a multiple of 7. Then he found Luke used words that were not used anywhere else. And that was a multiple of seven. John, and he went through the epistles. And the fascinating thing was, when he came to the end of this, he realised the only way that could have been contrived is if each of those people who was writing a book was the last one. And they'd found out what all the other people had used, they're now going to use words that they haven't used. But they couldn't all do that. They couldn't all be the last one. And his study of the scriptures was so analytical as a mathematician and a Greek scholar that he wrote an article for the New York Sun newspaper challenging agnostics and atheists to disprove that this shows the inspiration of scripture. And today uh, he is looked up to massively uh, for his analytical work on the scripture. In fact, do you want to know his favourite Bible verse was Psalm 12 verse 6. The words of the Lord are purified seven times. (laughs) It's beautiful, isn't it? Now, I love that story about that man and I'm fascinated by his work. And the thing I love about him was he saw so much because he spent time with God and in the word. And when you do that, you see more than you would do if you didn't. And that's a picture, really, for me, of this man we're looking at tonight in the Nativity story. This man, Simeon. You know, we know very well the story of the shepherds. We know about the wise men. But how many people in the world today know about Simeon and Anna? And yet this is a a story that comes right in the middle of those two events. And this story of of the Lord Jesus coming into the temple as a baby uh, and being presented there and then being taken up in the arms of Simeon and praised God for uh, is one. One of those great stories uh, connected with his birth. This morning we saw the person of Simeon and we saw his spirituality. We saw his sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and we saw his praise of his saviour in verse 20, 
29 to 32. Now tonight I want to shift gear and I want us to look at the last part. And I want us to look at the prophecy of Simeon. Because Simeon was uh, a prophet in, in the true sense of the word. Because he revealed things that God had shown him. And what we see here, again, is somebody who isn't just making it up on the spur of the moment. You know, they're standing up and they're coming out with the first thing that comes out of their heads. But it's somebody who's really been with God. And ever since he knew the Messiah was coming and he was going to have the privilege of seeing him, he's reflected and meditated and God has shown him things. And the prophecy of Simeon, of course, is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is... uh, It begins really in verse 33 because it says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. They were amazed at the wonderful things that Simeon had already said in his song of praise. But now Simeon has some more serious things to say. The things before have been worshipful and they've been a wonderful description of the Saviour. But now he has more sobering things to say. Some good and some bad. And it says in verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary his mother. He blessed them as he had blessed the child. Because he wanted to comfort them. And and let them know they were in God's hands. For what he was going to reveal. Because what he was going to reveal. Was so significant. The first thing he was going to reveal. Was Christ's power. And this to me. uh, has, Has really blessed me and thrilled me. To think about this. In verse 34. He said said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Now, when he spoke about the fall and the rising of many, this was probably a shock to Mary and Joseph because so far what they had heard from the shepherds was that he is Christ, the Saviour, the Lord and what they'd heard from the angel Gabriel was that he is he will be great and he will sit on the throne of his father David and his his kingdom will never end and they'd heard wonderful things but now it's as if a dark thread is woven into the tapestry of revelation he's going to lead to the falling of some people now what does this falling mean well i believe what it's talking about is Christ's judgment and his, the, the, the response that is going to come to Christ from those who are his enemies. In the book of Peter, we read about those who stumble over Christ like a stumbling stone. And we know that that was true of the leaders of Jesus' day. That they found Christ, as it said it would be in the Psalms before Jesus came, to be a stone of stumbling to them. And they fell over the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's an important thing to realise. I'm going to say this again later on. But you know, not everybody loves Jesus. <laughs> uh, we love Jesus and we love to sing his praises. But you go out there and you say, oh, isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? You're going to get a lot of bad reactions. Because not everybody is on the Lord's side. And many will fall over Christ. He's going to bring many down. And actually, he did bring many down even in his lifetime. If you think about what happened to, to Pontius Pilate alone. 
Pontius Pilate had been a man who had been working his way up from, from lower ranks to becoming the governor of Judea as a great privilege from Caesar. But when he came against Jesus, that was the end of Pilate's prosperity. And from then on, Pilate went down. He tried to wash his hands of Jesus and he never succeeded. You know, legends say that every time Pontius Pilate walked past water, he had to stop and wash his hands. It was as if he couldn't get the blood off his hands. And it led to his demise and his fall. Think of what happened with Judas Iscariot. Oh, Judas was one of the twelve. Think of that. So close. Saw the Lord's glory. Saw the Lord's miracles. Was there when he heard the Lord's teaching. And yet he betrayed the Lord. And bang, down, down he went. Terrible things happened to those who betrayed and went against the Lord Jesus. And that's a sign of Christ's power. You can't come against Christ and succeed. You can't come against Christ and prosper. Those who turn their face against Christ will never do well. And no matter how prosperous they may seem at first, eventually the Lord will bring them down. We think even in the story of the nativity, the vision that came to Joseph down in Egypt. Behold, Herod is dead. Herod is dead. And every Herod has died and will die. And uh, will be brought down by the Lord Jesus Christ. But, look at the other part of this power. It says, he is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Now, this is where it gets exciting. Because the word rising there, in the Greek, is the word Anastasia. Do you know what that word is? That's the word for the resurrection. He is for the falling and rising. And in fact, when I was studying this, um, I've got some old translations of the Bible at home. John Wycliffe and the Geneva Bible. Many of those old Bibles, they say, for the rising again of many in Israel. And isn't it wonderful to realize that the Lord Jesus, his power was going to be not only to bring down his enemies, but to bring up those who've put their trust in him and raise them again. On the third day, and again, in, when he comes in power and glory. We read in the end of Matthew, don't we, that when Christ was raised, the, the, uh, the, the believers came out of their graves as well. That's a fascinating thing, isn't it? You know, one of those glorious things. His resurrection, he released the dead believers who were in Abraham's bosom. And uh, he led captivity captive back to heaven with him. He was responsible for the rising again of many. Now, remember what I said earlier, that Mary treasured these things up and she pondered them in her heart. Mary took this in, and I believe this was very, very precious and valuable to Mary. Because one day, she saw her son die on the cross, and they took him and they buried him in the tomb. And she was there with the ladies at the cross, but when they went to the tomb to go and anoint him with spices and so on, on the day after the Sabbath, Mary didn't go. Now, isn't that interesting? I would have thought out of anybody who went, Mary would have been the first one to go. That's her son. And anyway, when the wise men came, didn't they bring myrrh? And what do we always tell people? What's myrrh for? Myrrh's for for the burial of the dead. So Mary, where were you? you know what? I think Mary's, there's no point in going. He's not there. He's not there. 
She she put these things together, pondered. That's what the word ponder means. She put them together in her head. All those years, meditating on those words of Simeon. He is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. He is the resurrection and the life. What power belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ? And Simeon saw it and told it to her first. What an amazing insight this man had. And you know, what a comfort for us, even as we're thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, at Christmas, to remember that the babe in the manger is not the weak, powerless babe. He's the mighty Christ, the one who has the power, not only to bring down his enemies, but to raise many, as he will do. Then secondly, we see uh, Simeon's uh, insight was to Christ's purpose. Because he goes on in verse 34 and says, and for a sign. And we'll just stop there. For a sign. I don't know if you noticed, I'm sure you have done, but Christmas is a time when signs appear everywhere, don't they? They normally appear about August time, book now for Christmas. And then you get signs, Santa stop here, and signs for everything, don't you, for Christmas. It all comes out. And in the Bible, actually, there's many Christmas signs. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. This is a sign to Israel, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Then there was the sign of the star to lead the wise men. And uh, the shepherds were told, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. There's four signs in the Christmas story. And the fourth one is Christ himself, which Simeon reveals here. This baby is for a sign. For a sign. Now, I think Simeon was thrilled to be able to reveal this because the word sign is spelt Simeon in Greek. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That was his name. And uh, uh, although his name means heard, and he was a man, I should have said that this morning, he was a man who listened to God, uh, the word sign is spelt Simeon. And it's, it's basically uh, he, 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 his name and so it was for a sign which will be spoken against and so Jesus is a sign but what's he a sign to he's not a sign to anybody other than himself he points to who he is and he points to who God is you know in John's gospel when we come to the gospel of John we don't read about the miracles of Jesus we read about the signs he did the signs, the miracles are called signs. This was the first sign he did when at Cana in Galilee, revealing his glory when he turned the water into wine. And all the miracles were signs pointing to him. And Peter on the day of Pentecost talked about how the Lord Jesus Christ had been revealed as the Messiah to Israel with signs and wonders. And the signs were pointing to him that he is the one to whom we should trust. And he himself points to his father as well. Peter said in his letter that it's through Christ we come to believe in God. You know, if you don't believe in Jesus, even if you say you believe in God, you don't. Because you can't have the father without the son. No man comes to the father except through the son, says John 14. And Peter said about Jesus, who through him, We believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 1 Peter 1, 21. 
So Christ's purpose was to be a sign. A sign pointing to God. What a great insight into the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Messiah pointing to himself, pointing to his Father. And you know that's exactly where we should be pointing at Christmas too. (laughs) Pointing to Christ. Pointing to the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And may our, our ministry and work be clear to that end. Then thirdly, he points out Christ's production. Now I wanted to say provocation, but I didn't feel that was the right word because I feel provocation is a negative word. If you provoke someone, it's a negative thing. But it's basically that that we're trying to say here because in verse 33, sorry, verse 34, the verse goes on and says, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Now the interesting thing is, People cannot keep their mouths shut when it comes to Jesus. (laughs) And it's funny, all the way through the Bible and through history, people have to declare what they think about Jesus, whether they believe in him or not. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in the end. But sometimes he is a sign which is spoken against and in the gospels we see christ spoken against Uh, in fact they spoke against his birth in john chapter uh, 7 when jesus was at the feast of of the feast of tabernacles Uh, it's either john 7 or john 8 i think it's verse 42 um, and said uh, you know we were not born illegitimately they spoke against that they spoke against him in his life and his miracles he does he does miracles by beelzebub they spoke against him. Then on the cross, come down and save yourself if you can. Then when he rose from the dead, they spread a lie saying his disciples stole his body. And even today with the second coming, people say, says Peter in 2 Peter 3, where is this coming, he said. They speak against him all the time. And this is what Christ produces in people, a reaction. And the reaction reveals the heart because you see what people say comes from their heart out of the mouth the heart speaks out of the heart the mouth speaks isn't it right way around verse 35 says um, yes a sword will pierce through your own soul also we'll come back to that that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed and when people speak against Jesus they reveal what they believe about him and their hearts are revealed and unveiled you know i heard a story about a little girl who had a a toy stethoscope you know kids like these doctor's outfits and and uh, one day her dad played a little trick on her because um, he he got the stethoscope and he put it on his head and then he went up to the little girl with the with the other end and he stuck it on her forehead and he said my He said, I can tell what you're thinking. (laughs) And the little girl looked at him and said, no, you can't. (laughs) And he said, yes, I can. He said, said, I think you're thinking that you want some of that ice cream. And you know what, behind him, he knew his wife was unpacking the shopping and she'd got some luxury ice cream. She was putting it in the fridge and the little girl just looked, didn't say anything. Do you know the strange thing it was? That stethoscope went missing. The family never found it again. (laughs) 
And isn't that true to life, you know? I don't want anyone knowing what's going on up here. The thoughts, my thoughts, they're never to be revealed. If I had a frosted, if I had a window for my head, I'd want frosted glass, you know, because I wouldn't want anybody to see what I think. And you would be the same. But through Jesus Christ, he will produce the reaction. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And those who say they're Christians but are not, it will be exposed. It will be exposed. So important to truly trust Christ. We can pretend and we can fool others. We can't fool the Lord Jesus. He will bring it out in the end, even as he did with people like Judas. And those who are truly his, they won't be able to keep it secret. He will bring it out in testimony to him. What a production Christ brings out, uh, out by his power. And then finally we see Christ's price. Because in verse 35, the bit in brackets, we'll come back to that now. He said, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, this must have been the hardest part for Mary to receive. Because he said, a sword And he said the word, also. Also. He told her that she was going to have a piercing experience. But he said, also. Now that word also at the end tells her, it isn't just going to happen to me. It's going to happen to this precious bundle first. A sword is going to land on him. Now what is this sword? I believe it is the cross, the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a number of places where God's judgment is spoken of as a sword. And one place in particular is in Ezekiel 21, verses 9 and 10, or verses 8 to 10, where God has been speaking about the judgment that he was going to bring on the descendants of David for their sin and the family line of David, the the monarchy. And it says this, Again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Say, a sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, sharpened to make a dreadful slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Should we then make mirth? Listen carefully. It despises the scepter of my son, as it does all wood. And he's saying it's going to land on the family line of my son. And it landed on Jesus at the cross, where he took the punishment for our sins and for the sins of the family line of David. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. And Jesus on the cross was going to take the punishment for our sin. Deuteronomy 32 also speaks about the sword coming on Israel for their sins. And Jesus took it for them. But it said it was going to pierce her soul. Now, this is where we get a little bit more of Simeon's prophetic revelation. Because he says this, you'll notice back in verse 34, to Mary. He blessed Joseph and Mary, but then he said to Mary. Now, why did he say it to Mary? I believe, prophetically, he understood that, number one, this baby was virgin born. It wasn't, Joseph wasn't his father. So this is amazing what God the Spirit revealed to him from the word. He must have twigged from Isaiah 14, 714. 
this baby's virgin born. It's only his mother. But another thing also, that Joseph wasn't going to be there. And it's interesting, in the Gospels, when we come to the cross, Joseph had died by then, and it's only Mary at the cross. But a sword would pierce through her soul also. And she would feel the pain of seeing her son, the Lord Jesus Christ, go and die for our sins. In fact, the word for a sword there is a word for a big sword. Warren Wisby says it's the word used for a sword like Goliath's sword. It was going to really hurt seeing her beloved son die on the cross like that. And there is a price, isn't there, for following the Lord Jesus Christ or even, uh, in this case, being his mother, being those who are closest to him. But she knew when he died on that cross that he was doing it as it was prophesied by Simeon all those years before. And she was prepared by it, by this revelation. You know, it's one of the testimonies to the truth of the virgin birth that at the cross, where it said over the top that Jesus was crucified, he was the king of the Jews, and that they said he was the son of God, the Messiah. She never turned around and said, it's a lie, it's a lie, I made it all up. It wasn't a virgin birth. It was me and Joseph. We had a bad night together and I got pregnant and we needed an excuse to get out of trouble. It's not, a, it's not true. It was me and a soldier, which is what some people say. She never did. And if you were her mother, if you were her standing there seeing your son die on the cross, you would do anything to save him. But she never did because she knew from Simeon's prophecy what it was all about. And it's evidence of the truth of the virgin birth. What a testimony. So what an amazing insight Simeon gave. And yes, their faces had been sparkling with wonder. And I'm quite sure there were a few tears mingled uh, with these prophecies. But then Anna comes in at the end. And that's where Anna's lovely part comes in. To to soften the blow of some of these deep truths that had to be revealed. And bring praise. And uh, lift everybody's spirit. But I want us to see today, as we bring this study in Simeon to a close. What an encouragement to see a man of God who walked with the Lord and understood from the word by his study in the word things that most people would not even begin to grasp because he took the time to be with the Lord. As God's people, this Christmas, so easy to get busy, isn't it? You know the word busy stands for being under Satan's yoke. (laughs) I haven't got time. I haven't got time. And we we neglect time with God. We're missing out on so much when we do. Let's be walking with the Lord this Christmas and make sure that we're growing in our faith, listening to him, walking with the Spirit and feeding on the living word. May these studies be a blessing to you as they've been a blessing to me to prepare them.